And so I, when, when it comes to these youth weeks, I give them uh, pretty, pretty big carte blanche, whatever you want to do. And so we begin to talk. I said, look, you can have anybody you want come preach youth week. Anybody. I don't care where they are, how we got to fly them in, what we got to do. You can have anybody you want to preach. And I think it's about unanimous. They said, we want Brother Aaron Wright back. And he has ministered our church so ably Wednesday night. Uh, just a phenomenal move of God uh, and, and the way he led us into that. And then Thursday, he ministered just to our, core, our, our youth group and allowed them to have a service. Uh, basically just them. And he ministered again to them. And then last or, uh, a Friday night at our youth rally, I think we had a, over 173, over 174 people packed out this church. And uh, he, he ministered again so ably into the, this morning and tonight. We want him to come. Brother Wright, would you come and would you preach the word of God to each and every one of us? God bless you. Thank you for your ministry. We're looking forward. Thank you, Pastor. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. I feel the presence of the Lord, and I'm so thankful to be here, and I'm humbled by those words and uh, humbled by the way this, this great youth staff has treated me and uh, so thankful for him. I'm thankful also to... Whoever is responsible for getting me some man-sized waters. I don't know if you're totally getting getting me yet. I think Brother Randall, he'll go show you what I really need. Go ahead, bro. Just yeah, go ahead. Go help me out. I'm gonna we're just gonna get this out of the way. He'll he'll show you what I, I really need. Amen. And so I'm so thankful to be here. Grab your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19. And uh, I'm so thankful to be here. I am missing my, my family and my kiddos, and they're sending me pictures and, and all that stuff. So I'm looking forward to flying back out here Monday. But in the meantime, we have two services, and we are going to get everything we can out of these services. Somebody say amen. Come on now. Somebody say amen. Everybody's, uh, now, now there's what we're talking about. We will not go without this morning, huh? Come on, somebody needs to turn to your neighbor and smile really big at them. Come on, turn to them and say, I'm glad you're in the house of the Lord. Come on, I'm thankful to be here. Uh, Luke chapter 19. Man, we'd, I feel like we need to smile a little bit more this morning for some reason. Come on, smile at your neighbor. Did you ever hear of the doctor, the lawyer, and the preacher? The doctor, the lawyer, and the preacher, they, uh, they, uh, they got invited by Pastor Buford to come to his 40-acre his uh, food plot that was sweet and was luscious. And uh, they, it was told to the doctor, the lawyer, and preacher that, hey, I have a monstrosity. I got the buck of all bucks, what they call a swamp donkey in the south. I got a, a mega stud that's been coming out. He comes out 10 minutes prior to illegal shooting light. And uh, pastor tells him, you know what, I'm going to set you in three strategic locations overlooking my food plot. And one of you, you're going to see the deer. Somebody say sweet action. Come on. And so he sets them in these tree stand locations. And now the, the light is coming down to close. And sure enough, 10 minutes before illegal shooting light, uh, this mega stud steps out onto the field. The only thing was is all three, the doctor, the lawyer, and the preacher, they all can see this buck at the same time. And so they all take aim and they all shoot at the very same time. The buck falls in its track, expires, uh, and they start doing the fist pump. They're screaming sweet action. They're, they're doing the little 
jig and their tree stand, and they all climb down, and they run over to their harvest. The only problem was is all three of them shot, but there was only one entrance wound and one exit, exit wound. And so now you could only imagine the doctor, the lawyer, and the, the preacher, they begin to fight. It's my buck. No, it's my buck. I'm telling you, I was sure on my aim. And as they are fighting, a game warden's driving by and sees these three men out there in a buck lane. So he pulls his vehicle over. He walks out, and he says, gentlemen, man, I, first of all, congratulations to whoever's buck this is. It's a, it's a beautiful one. And he says, whose buck is it? And they all say, it's my buck. And that throws up a red flag to the game warden. So he says, what do, you, what do you mean it's my buck? And they rehearse the matter from the beginning, tell him the story. And, and the, the game warden just steps back. And he kind of analyzes this buck. And he says, I can tell you right now whose deer this is just by looking at it. They're like, how can you tell whose deer it is? He's like, this is an easy one, my friends. It is the preacher's deer because the bullet went in one ear and right out the other ear. There we go. I'm starting to feel a little bit better now. Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 1, and Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Everybody say Zacchaeus. He was chief among the, amongst the, public, among the publicans, and he was rich. Verse 3 says this, though, he sought to see Jesus who he was a man, and he could not for the press because he was what? Somebody say it out. You know the nursery rhyme. He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And the Bible says this, though. In verse 4, it says he ran. Somebody say he ran. Before and he climbed. Turn to your neighbor and say he climbed. Up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus or to see him, for he was to pass that Way. Verse 5, and watch it. Watch this very carefully. It says, and when Jesus came to the place. Came to what place? Where he ran and where he climbed. When Jesus came to that place, he, he looked up and he saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down for today. I must abide at thy house. Amen. I want to preach to you for the next little moment on this thought process. Take action. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to do something about it. How many of you feel like if there's ever a moment or a time that you could be used by God or God's drawing you to a deeper place in, in your walk and relationship with him, how many of you feel that way today? Come on, that there's something more. God has more for you. If that's you, amen, I'm going to preach with all my heart and try to compel you to not do what Zane did, just sit back, but to do something about it. Amen. This is our moment and our day to make sure that we reach and we become who Jesus wants us to become. Amen. I want you to set your Bibles down. Let's lift our hands and let's just pray together. Jesus, this is your word. It's not bound. I pray that it has free course in this place. I pray that you would strengthen and you would lift up everybody. Let the ministering of your spirit be here this morning. Lord, we give you praise and we give you glory. I pray for that drawing power of your spirit. And everybody says in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I need you to help me out this morning a little a little dialogue, if you would. But there is a saying that goes something like this. And if you know it, I want you to finish the saying. But the saying is something like along these lines. Actions speak. Come on, one more time. Actions speak louder 
than words do. Every person in here speaks at least two languages. Yes, you do. At least every one of us do. Some speak more. I speak five languages. <clears throat> I don't know if I should be wounded or not. I speak five languages. I speak in the native language of, of English, obviously. I've spoken in tongues, and I continue to speak in tongues. And so that's a second one. And I can speak also in the, the language of the North American white-tailed deer, and I can speak in the language of the North American turkey. Amen. I can, I can call them. I've called them. Come on, any hunters in the house know what I'm talking about. Pastor just told me the story about how that buck in there on the wall, he was 200 yards away. And so what did he do? He pulled out his grunt tube and began to speak the language. And he grunted, and that deer received it, and he ran into him, and he harvested the deer. It's a language. Looking at me like I have antennas off my head. And then lastly, I speak the language that each and every one of you speak, and that is the language of body language. Somebody say it with me. Actions speak louder than words do. I had a, uh, a fun time going back and learning uh, these facts about body language. I studied it at one time because my work uh, place, when I was an estimator, they wanted us all to study it. But I found this. According to research, approximately 80 to 90% of the meaning of a message lies within the nonverbal part of it. Here are a little more Little known facts about nonverbal communication. Body language seems to have three major uses. One, as a conscience replacement for speech. How many of you have ever gotten really excited? And you don't even have to say a word, and everybody around you knows that you're excited. No doubt when Pastor harvested the buck, probably he didn't say many words, but I bet you in the stand he was. I got to stop looking at Sister Buford. She's getting me all sidetracked today. Number two, to reinforce speech. How many parents out there get tired of telling your kids, your little sassy teenagers, uh, would you quit acting like that? Quit being like that. How many times have you ever told your young, my Asher, Asher James is three years old, and I'm telling you, he is tone deaf uh, to not to, hey, do you want some candy, Asher? He's like, yeah, he hears me. But it's like, Asher, stop climbing on the cabinet and getting into the cookies. And he just doesn't hear that or something. It's after the sixth time, you're no longer just speaking. You're like grabbing that belt and you're Why? Because now it's no longer just you saying something. Now your actions are reinforcing how you feel. And three, it's a mirror or a betrayer of the mood. And so we got some sassy 15-year-olds in here, three of them there, 14, 15, 16-year-olds. And, and parents, help me out. Do you ever tell them, Brother Lo, I appreciate your excellence so much and, and your wife, and I appreciate Gracie. Uh, she walked in when I first got here. She came right up and gave me a big old hug, man. My heart just melted. I loved it. But how many times have you had to discipline Gracie? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Or a teenager, and you tell them, and it's like, they're telling you. Okay, yeah, Mom, I really believe that. Yes, Dad, I'll go clean my room. And the eyes get to roll, and it's a, it's a mirror or a betrayer of the mood. Yeah, I'm serious, Dad. 
So out of all the facial expressions, the smile may be the most deceptive. Uh, this blew me away. There are 18 different types of smiles, but only one. I believe this is how you say it. The Duchenne smile reflects true, genuine happiness. When a person crosses both their arms and their legs, they have emotionally withdrawn for, from the conversation. So keep your legs crossed or your arms crossed. Just don't cross them both at the same time. Zane, I will come down there. There are six universal facial expressions. One is anger, two, disgust, three is fear, four is happiness, five is sadness, six is surprise, and recently some scientists have argued that the looks of contempt and embarrassment are also universal expressions. This one uh, is, is goes to our parents out there who, again, I'm, I'm picking on the young youth here, but you have uh, sassy teenagers, or even if you're at your work or your boss, but they say eye-blocking. Covering of the eyes, delaying opening the eyes for a prolonged period of time is a very powerful display of consternation, disbelief, and disagreement. Come on, I, I can see it all over Madison. It's like Madison will come in, Dad, I'm going to do my homeschool. Okay, Maddie, go ahead and jump on the trampoline for 10 minutes. She comes back in, Dad, I'm going to go over to Carolyn's. Okay, Maddie, go do that. I'm going to do my homeschool, though, and after about the 15th excuse, I'm just like this. This is my favorite. This is my favorite. I found it on Google, and so it's true. A woman has, <laughs> I said a woman, I saw every, all the women was like. <laughs> I better just move right along. <laughs> they have a wider peripheral vision than a man does, which allows her to check out her husband standing beside her from head to toe without even really looking completely in that direction. Men do not have this wider range, so when he has to look over, per se, at his wife, uh, he has to turn his head and look. And here's what it says. It says that a, a man, men do not oogle more than women do. It's just that men get caught because women can look and have a wider range and you don't even know it. That's why when the Corvette goes by, the man is like this. It's like, babe, babe, hey, babe, Jess, Jess, did you just see that Maserati, that Ferrari? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, you were looking the other way. But she still saw because she can see further than that. So what does that say to all the husbands out here? Don't get discouraged. Your wife still thinks that you have it. Uh, she's just being sly about it. She still, still checks you out. She's still looking at you. She's just being, being a little secretive about that. There are studies that show this, that the, the total impact of a message is about 7% verbal, words only, 38% vocal, including the tones or the inflection of the voice, and 55% nonverbal. Actions have the ability to speak a lot louder than your words will ever Speak. I could go on and on and on and on this morning about funny, funny body languages and how body language speaks and so on and so forth. But I have two brothers. I, Mom and Dad, we, we've had my, my older brother, me, my younger sister, we were biological. And then after we graduated and, and we went out to Bible school, they adopted five more children. And so now I have five more brothers and sisters. And right now in the age of 15 through 17 where they're at right now, my two younger brothers, it's like when I come back into town, it's, they, they got something inside of them spunk. And they, they just like to trash talk me. 
It's like I'm my Christopher more, more so than that. It's like I'll walk into the room at mom and dad's house and I'll just look over at them. He'll be like, what are you looking at? I said, I don't know. I can't, can't quite figure that out right now. He's like, why don't you come say that to my face? I said, I just said it to your face. He's like, you better be careful. And this is between brothers, okay? This is all between brothers. We don't act like this to any, anybody else. Well, at Dunkin' Donuts before I got my coffee, I was kind of, I'm kidding. But brothers, <laughs> sibling rivalry, and it's like, he, he's like, Aaron, I'll come over there. I, I, will, I will pick you up and throw you through the floor. And I will go downstairs, throw you back up through the floor, and then we will go outside and we will tangle. I'm like, oh, is that what it is? He's like, let's go outside. I said, let's start inside and work our way outside. And so we will have this exchange, and then finally after he gets done for, you know, however long, I'll be like, what are you going to do about it? At some point in time, you just got to ask the question, what are you really going to do about it? You know why? Because you can gain a reputation of being a talker and not a doer. Amen. And there's a saying that goes like this. Uh, they are all bark, uh, but they are no bite. Why? Because you can gain a reputation of talking the talk, uh, but not walking the walk. Why? Because your actions speak louder than your words speak. Amen. Uh, that is one reason why I have decided to make up in my mind, Pastor, I don't allow the devil to trash talk me. I don't allow the devil to try to chit-chat in my mind and when you wake up in the morning and, and you feel maybe distance from the Lord and, and the devil begins to speak fear into your mind or doubt or anxiety. So how many have ever just woke up and you just felt a heaviness on your spirit, amen, and, and you just feel discouraged and you feel doubt? That's the point in time you need to take what I'm saying and apply it to, and I've learned to say this to the devil. It's like at some point in time you're just going to say, devil, what do you want to do about it? Because this is fact. The devil knows that if you and him or him and I were to step in the octagon so to speak uh, that only one would come out with their hands raised and that is us why because greater is he that is in us uh, than he that is in the world amen and he knows this uh, that if it ever comes down to it we are more powerful than he is and so it's just chit chat it's just chatter that you got to work your way through but on the flip side of the coin I also believe that that when we talk to Jesus and we begin to utter promises to Jesus and we begin to tell Jesus of what's inside of our heart, I think that he just takes a step back and slides his hands in the pocket, so to speak, and says, man, that's nice. Oh, this is the week that you're going to come to church and you're really going to give your life to me. Oh, this is the week that you're going to read your Bible and do the things that you know you're supposed to. This is the week that you're going to get baptized so that I can wash away your sins. Oh, this is the week that you're going to start doing better, living right, and, and exploring what I have. This is the week. And I believe he just sits back and says, okay. But what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it. Amen. I want to tell you this. You will never flatter Jesus with hollow words unless uh, you hear what I'm saying. You will never flatter Jesus with hollow words. Never. You know why? 
because there have been millions upon millions upon millions of people who have been in his presence uh, and they have, when they feel his presence, they have begun to make commitments to him. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. This is, this is going to happen with me. I'm going to do this. And then when they walk out of his presence, uh, they don't do the things that they had committed or the things that they felt when they were in the presence uh, of the Lord. And so I believe he just sits back and says, listen, you can say anything you want and say all you want, but until I see you do something about it, it really does not matter. That's why one of the verses in the the New Testament said he knew men. He didn't commit himself to them because they were there for the fishes and loaves. They were there for the miracles. Uh, But when it came down to it, they were not committed to what they were saying. James chapter 2 verse 14 says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man says, though he speaks, though he utters with his tongue, he vocalizes that he has faith and he hath not works. There's no physical action. There's nothing that's coming of it. And it says this, can faith save him? If, and then he draws a, a picture for us. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of them say, one of you say to them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not the things which are needed for the body, what did it profit? That would be like somebody coming in and saying, I haven't eaten in five days. They're shivering because all they have is a T-shirt on and, and they're, they're dressed in their pants. And we say, oh, well, we're so sorry about that. Be filled and, and be warmed, and then you just send them back outside, and you do nothing about it. What did it profit? And then verse 17 says, even so faith, if it hath not works, it's dead, being alone. Amen. Hey, here's what I'm trying to say. You can say all you want that this is going to be the week that you change. This is going to be the week that you do something about it. This is going to be the week you come to church and you really give yourself to God. But unless there's actions, it doesn't mean nothing unless something happens it doesn't mean nothing why say it with me actions speak louder than words do if I was to take an example even just a simple illustration of repentance I mean if I was to come down here and I was to kick brother Randall as hard as I could in the leg boom right in the shin now, I, was, I could have went to college to be a punter. I can still put my head over, my foot over his head. I have a strong kick. He would grab his leg, squeal like a little girl, fall off his pew and scream because of the pain. And I turn around and I say this. I am sorry. And he's my witness. He heard me. I'm sorry. And as I turn around and walk, I'm talking to Brother Justin, and I turn around and I boot him again. He's going to grab his leg, squeal like a little girl, fall down. And then before I even say sorry, before I even can turn around, and I, I, I say, I'm sorry, and as the words come out of my mouth, I turn around and I kick him again. This man is my witness. I'm sorry. I said it. I kick him again. I can promise you that I will not be able to get sorry out of my mouth again. You know why? Because he's going to stand up and look something like this. Huh? What, am I right? Am I right? 
he's probably thinking to himself, I would have did that at the first time. Why would I barely even get the third kick in? Because my actions are telling a story that my words are not telling. That's why when a preacher says, uh, you've got to repent of your sins, uh, you've got to make your life right, this isn't just something uh, that you come to church and you just verbally say, although there is a verbal confession of that. When I say, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me, help me to do better, that's one thing, but what the Lord is really looking for uh, is you to turn your life around and change your life and, and stop doing the things that you know are wrong. It, he's looking for action. Action. I would say this, that in John 6, verse 66, this, this principle of action speaking louder than words, it's borne out in further concept because here Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says to his disciples, he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're going to have no part in me. And that was a hard saying. He wasn't talking about morphing into a vampire and, and gnawing on his arm or something like that. What he was saying was, unless you go to the cross or have that cross experience, unless you experience repentance in your life and the death, the burial, the resurrection, you're going to have no part in me. And they, the Bible said this was a hard saying. And from that day forward, in John 66, verse 66, uh, many of his disciples walked away and did no longer walk with him. In so much that Jesus now, he turns to the original 12, and what does he say? Are you going to leave me also? And here's where Peter exposes this principle of action, speaking louder than words. Uh, Peter looks at Jesus and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Uh, you have the words to eternal life. Uh, in other words, we have already walked away from our fishing. Uh, we've walked away from our homes. Uh, we've walked away and surrendered everything. Lord, uh, when we said we love you, it wasn't just verbal, but our lifestyle showed it our lifestyle agreed we have forsaken everything to follow you so Peter was saying Lord it's not just my words my confession it's my actions that is telling the story proof of what we are saying is in our actions Jesus he really begins to dig in Matthew 15 verse 8 and 8 and 9 and when he's talking to the Pharisees the Pharisees were people whose lives consisted of saying one thing but doing another thing. It's like it's like our our, our unsaved uncle, or maybe even some of the parents would catch yourself saying that this. They would they would say something like this: uh, "Do as I say, not as I do." Even the littlest of kids in here can see the hypocrisy in that statement. I caught myself, Pastor, saying this to my, my daughter, Madison. We were at, at a, a, an event or something, and I walk over, and I take a drink, uh, and I, I'm pouring my Coke so it doesn't fizz over. And Maddie runs over and grabs some Coke, and I said, Maddie, don't drink that stuff. It's terrible for you. I'm thinking, I, it, <laughs> I don't even know why I said that. I'm, I'm thinking, what a, what, a, what a bunch of hypocrisy. I'm drinking the stuff. Uh, I'm, she just kind of looks at me like, So it was, Jesus begins to scold them. And he, he, said, he says this, this people draws nigh to me with their mouth and they honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, he says. 
he says, in vain they worship me, teaching the doctrines and commandments of men. And so Jesus says, they honor me, honor me with their mouth. They speak all this stuff, but their heart is far from it. You know what that tells us this morning? It says you can miss the kingdom of God by the space of six inches, the distance between your mouth and your heart. You can say whatever you want to say, talk like whatever you want to talk, but if it's not in your heart, it means nothing. It means nothing. How many of you have ever been at work? Hopefully everybody's hands go up. You're at the lunch break. People know who you are, you know, and you know who people are. And all of a sudden, a new guy comes in, and now you're in there eating your, your, your uh, ramen noodles or whatever you eat for lunch, and you're, you're sitting there eating, and all of a sudden, this new guy comes in, and there's a, another guy. There's another guy in there that you've worked with that you know. You know him, and he knows you. And as you're talking to this new guy, he's like, man, there's something different about you. And your response immediately is, yeah, man. I'm a Christian. I go to the best church in O'Fallon. I go to Lighthouse Church. You should come one day. Wow, that's convincing. <laughs> I said, I go to the best church in O'Fallon. You should come today. Come on, somebody. And they're like, oh, really, man, what about that? And all of a sudden, as you're dialoguing about Jesus, the person you know in the corner of the break room on the other side, he pipes up and says, oh, I'm a believer. And all of a sudden you're like. And the other person's like. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You've been in the places where it's like you, you know the person, and, and as soon as Jesus comes up and it's convenient, all of a sudden, oh, I'm a believer. I believed in Jesus. And it throws a thousand question marks. You know why? Because they were just in the break room uh, taking the Lord's name in vain. They were the ones talking about the parties and getting sloshed. And they were the ones doing all kinds of stuff, looking at the dirty trash at the workroom uh, and the lunch break. Uh, but as soon as somebody says something about Jesus, uh, they say, oh, I'm a believer. I'm telling you right now, this world is sick and tired of fake Christianity. Fake Christianity that goes to church on Sunday, but they just saw you at the bars and at the trashy places on Friday and Saturday. Young people, they're sick of Christianity where you talk about Jesus on Sunday, but then you're somebody else on Monday through Friday. What this world needs is when somebody says, I'm a believer, they really don't even have to verbalize it. Why? Because they've already observed your lifestyle. They've already watched your actions. Amen. And so, thirdly, isn't it amazing to you that the very same people, the very same people that cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord one moment, were the same group of people crying, crucify him, crucify him the very next moment. You know why? Because if you take on the identity of the crowds, you will always be swayed whichever way the crowds are swayed. And when it's easy to live for Jesus uh, and you're on the mountaintops, you're going to be popular with the crowds. Uh, but then when Jesus doesn't answer or come through like you should and you go through a hard situation, uh, the crowds will leave Jesus when it gets hard. Uh, and so there's this big rocking in the boat, so to speak. Uh, when it's easy, I'm a Christian. But when Jesus doesn't come through, uh, I'm going to miss church. 
When my bank account's full, oh, I'm going to be faithful. But then when I'm sick or there's tragedy or something happens, uh, I'm going to distance myself uh, because Jesus didn't come through. I'm telling you, somebody, Jesus wants people who are committed uh, on the mountaintops uh, and they're committed in the valleys. Uh, Jesus is looking for somebody that will walk with him when it's easy or they will walk with him when it's hard. None of this wishy-washy Christianity. He's looking for somebody that will live it. So the saying is, it goes, and I realize there's a little uh, problem here or there with it, but it says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. What it's saying is you should live your life in a way that you don't even have to say it, but people know it. There was two men, the Bible reveals to us two men, who believed on Jesus, but yet they were on the edge of completely selling out because they were afraid of what others would think. However, at the death of Jesus, something happened to these two men. Something changed in these two men. And the only way that we can determine this is because we read of their actions. We read of what they do. The first man is Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, John 19.38. Joseph of Arimathea, he was a disciple, but watch the verse says this, but secretly for fear of the Jews. And he besought Pilate that he might take the body of Jesus away, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body. Mark's version sheds a little bit more insight on this and says in Mark 15.43, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also awaited the kingdom of God, he came in. And went in boldly, the Bible said. Boldly. Something happened in his life to where he is now boldly going after Jesus. And the Bible said he craved the body of Jesus. And so after the death of Jesus, something happens to this man. He would sneak around. He would follow Jesus in the shadows. Uh, he, would, he would sneak around and wouldn't be, be known because he was afraid of what the other people thought. But when Jesus died, all of a sudden something trans, transformed in his life, his walk with him, and now he goes into Pilate and he boldly craves uh, the body of Jesus. The second man is a man by the name of Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus, the Bible says in John 19, 39, Nicodemus, which first, or came to Jesus first by night, brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a 100-pound weight. Then, then took they the body of Jesus and wound them in linen, clothes as the spice, or with spices as the manner of the Jews is to burial. And so here we are, two men, musicians, you can join me, two men. They followed Jesus from a distance. They believed on him. They, they knew that, that he was the Christ, the son, son, of the son of the living God, but they were afraid of what other people thought. They were afraid of what the Jews thought. And so we get a picture pre-death of Jesus. These men are walking around following Jesus, uh, but they're doing so like this. They were following Jesus, but they were doing it in the shadows. They were following Jesus, but they were doing it privately. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They were following Jesus, but they were still hindered by the crowds. But something happened at the death of Jesus that totally changed.
Sudden we see these two men coming out of hiding, coming out of the shadows, coming out of privacy in their walk with God, saying, you know what, I'm going to public and boldly follow after Jesus. What am I trying to say? I'm reaching to some young people. I'm reaching to some adults today that you you have no problem following Jesus when we're all gathered together and we're inside the church building. But when you go back to work, you feel the crowd's pressure, amen, and you kind of just slump back and you're not bold in witnessing. You're not bold in your faith. Uh, amen. I'm reaching for somebody today. It's time to get bold in your walk with God. Uh, it's time to follow Jesus. Uh, it's time to come out of the shadows uh, and declare to your lost family, declare to your workmates that I'm a Christian. Uh, come on somebody. Let's all stand in this place. In our opening scriptural text, something happened to this man Zacchaeus when he mixed his actions with his words. Zacchaeus had a desire to see who Jesus was. The Bible said in verse 3 that he wanted to see Jesus, who he was. We see the dilemma because Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus could be, and I don't say this disrespectfully, but the, the first mention of what we would term as a, a smaller person or a midget. Little of stature. And as Jesus is walking down the road, he's being thronged by a great multitude. And, and being little of stature, he can't see over men that are full size. And so he still has a desire. There's something inside of him that says, I need to, I need to figure out this man, Jesus. And so we see this, that that desire turns into actions. The Bible says he began to look. He saw where Jesus was coming. He looked down the road. He began to calculate the path and the distance. And all of a sudden, he saw his way. He saw a sycamore tree. And the Bible says what? He ran. Amen. He begins to run down the road knowing that Jesus was going to pass that way. And he climbs up into this sycamore tree. And the Bible says this, that as Jesus came to the place, came to the place where Zacchaeus did something about it, he stops. He says, all right, Bubba, come down. Today I'm going to abide at your house. Hear me today when I say this with boldness and with authority and with faith. I have never, I have never seen, never seen it when somebody truly gets serious in their walk with God. Not just verbally. Brother Randall, I'm talking when somebody gets serious and they do something about it. I have never seen it where Jesus does not show up. Never. Come on, somebody, help me out. I have never seen somebody who just gets so serious about Jesus that it becomes not only words only, but it becomes actions, uh, and they do something about it where Jesus doesn't show up and meet them in a powerful way. Never forget in Texas. I was preaching down in Texas, in Justin, Texas. I was get, I was about five minutes away from the altar call, and as I'm preaching, uh, all of a sudden, from from a back in the back, a man, a man that I, I looked like he was church from from outer perception, he comes walking down the aisle, and he walks and he comes and he stands right here in front with his arms like this. Again, I don't know exactly what's going on in people's lives, and I I wasn't done preaching, so I finish up and I give the altar call. And as I give the altar call, I walk straight to this man and I said, what is it that you need the Lord to do for you today? And he replies and he says, the Lord spared my life 
I need to get baptized in Jesus' name. That let me know that somebody had already planted the seed. It also let me know that he hadn't been baptized in Jesus' name. And I said, man, that's awesome. And I, and I get the pastor and I come over and I have him tell the pastor. And, I, and I'm over here and I'm walking, walking through the altars and, and I'm just praying with people over here. And I, I looked over and I saw the pastor being a Cajun himself, man, a wiry man. He's walking all full of faith. And as he walked by that man, that man reaches out and grabs his arm. And he says something to him. I didn't know exactly what he said, but he says something. And the pastor's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Keeps walking back and forth, walking back and forth. And as he, he goes by him again, that man reaches out again and says, this is what I knew he said later. He said, I want my gift. And the pastor's just like, yeah, okay. I mean, he's just caught up in the moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and he's walking back and forth. And about the third time, that man, he walked by that man and he reached out like a bald eagle who would snatch a fish out of the lake. He snatched onto that pastor's arm and I could hear him. He said, I said, I want my gift. And at that point in time, I left praying over here. You know why? Because I want to be where the action is. And I walked over and the pastor said, he said he wants his gift. I said, what are you waiting for? Lift your hands and let God fill you with the Holy Ghost. And within about 30 seconds, he was speaking in tongues as the Spirit of God was giving the utterance. We had to hold that man up like this because the power of God touched him. I have never seen somebody get serious about Jesus and Jesus not show up. I was preaching down in Philadelphia and I preached and one young man, he got the revelation that he needed to get baptized in Jesus' name. And so they got him ready to get baptized and all of a sudden the power of God was reaching and drawing hearts and evidently there was more people that God was trying to get them to get baptized and they felt that unction and before the altar was over, I mean I wasn't even done preaching. They were getting him ready and I was still preaching. But by the time it was all said and done, we had seven children say, you know what, this is my my day. I'm going to get baptized in the name of Jesus so my sins can be washed away. Three of those young children came out of the water speaking in other tongues. Listen, I, I, I could do this all day long. It was in Worthington, Minnesota. The kids were downstairs, didn't even hear the preaching of the word. And there was an unction in the Holy Ghost that said, bring the kids upstairs. And so as I was down there, or I was down in the altar, I told the pastor, I want you to bring the kids up. God is moving in this altar. And all the children came up and they flooded the altars. And God started moving on these children. They began to lift their hands. And by the time it was all said and done, 13 children received the Holy Ghost. And 11 of them were baptized in Jesus name what are you trying to say when you get serious about Jesus when you get serious about Jesus he's going to get serious about you but I've already received the Holy Ghost I've already been baptized yeah and what, are, what is God speaking to you this morning are you in a stagnant rut, rut like brother Zane said is your walk with God alive and on fire? Many of you raised your hands and said, I feel like if I ever could you be used by God, it would be right here, right now. Many of you have a desire to go deeper in your walk with God. All these young people I know, they have a desire to let the Holy Ghost flow through them and use them. I said it, said it Friday night that, 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 these, uh, that in the last days there's going to be young people that prophesy. They're going to be young people that get into the flow of the Holy Ghost and are mightily used. 
But how many days are going to go by, how many calendar weeks is going to go by where you just acknowledge that God's trying to do something and not do nothing about it? How many? Come on, I'm a victim of that. I'm just as guilty. I know what God wants, wants me to do, and I know what needs to be done, but somehow weeks go by, and I realize that I didn't do anything. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that today marks a very good day on the calendar for you to make up in your mind that I'm going to do it, that I'm going to take some action in my walk with God. How many of you feel God drawing at your heart even now? I want to see your hands. Let me see your hands. It might not be everybody. That's perfectly fine. But right now, if you feel the Holy Ghost prompting you, if the, the preaching of the Word, something, something touched your heart, I want you with your hands, I want you to begin to make your way up to this altar right now. Come on. We're going to create an atmosphere, and the Lord's going to do a special work in our hearts.